Welcome back into our Huskers Radio Network podcast. I'm Jessica Cootie, and we continue our Title IX podcast series as we celebrate excellence in women's athletics for 50 years of Title IX. Title IX, and boy, am I excited about today's guest. You want to talk about a pioneer, someone that helped laid the foundation, Carol Frost. Thank you so much. I've been wanting to do an interview and sit down and pick your brain for a long time, so thank you for spending some time with us. That's fine. So I, I wanted to go back. I know you know a lot of people know your story, the Olympian, first Nebraska woman to go to the Olympics. But when you were growing up in small town Nebraska, did mm-hmm. you like sports growing up? Were you? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you play sports? Well, yeah. I was lucky in. Uh, well, my older brother is six years older than I am, and he um, he was a pitcher and he pitched junior legion. And <laughs> I, I remember catching him. He was six years older than I was. So he's 16, I'm 10. And I have to catch him. And I've got an old mitt. And I put my dad's work gloves inside that mitt. And then still come out with swollen hands and bruised <laughs> shins and everything. But no, I loved it. I, I shot baskets in the corn crib. I, yeah. And, and in a small town in Nebraska, we had a town team softball team. So I was able to play softball, and then in high school, we had a high school volleyball team. So, uh, yeah, they so grew you up did, in small kind town. of did it all, yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you, had, you had talked about you had a teacher that saw right. a group of girls that maybe had potential. So how did that go about where he, he made it happen for you guys? That was, that was an amazing story. And I often say without Randall Lambert, uh, I don't, my life would have been totally different because uh, – we did our, our our softball team came down to lincoln and we won state we beat gary sporting goods and we beat some lincoln teams uh we won conference cedar valley conference in volleyball and so we had more than one athlete and so he saw it took about oh six of us and called us the road runners and uh we started a track team and i started off as a half miler and a hurdler and uh, threw kind of on the side and uh, he was a fundraiser. He wasn't, didn't know that much about track, but he was a researcher. And uh, back then you couldn't go to YouTube, but you could get a couple videos, you know, and, mm-hmm. and a book or two. And so we kind of taught ourselves. Wow. And uh, yeah, my junior year, between my junior and senior year, he took us from Cedar Rapids, Nebraska, all the way to the Los Angeles Coliseum. And I threw in the Junior Olympics in the Los Angeles Coliseum. And uh, I got second in the shot, did terrible in the hurdles and the half mile. You know, I, I, no way I had the kind of speed that you need to do that. And uh, I threw the discus and could have won, but it was the old story. My best one was out of bounds. <laughs> but I knew that I could throw, throw with the best people. And so after that, I became a thrower. So why did he pursue track if he didn't know much about it and why was that the sport that he chose for you guys you know back then i'm not sure there were no there wasn't softball at the universities there was no volleyball at the university level but you could get on the united states track team and i i guess he had the foresight to know that that was one sport where you could excel without having to uh well, I played AAU basketball, and uh, but you still couldn't go beyond Midwest. Right. And so that was one sport where 
you know, I, I was able to uh, come down to the university, and uh, he left Cedar Rapids and came to Garland, Nebraska, which is just a few miles uh, west, of, west of Lincoln, and continued to be our coach and basically fundraiser, lined up meets for us and everything. And we threw AAU. AAU was the amateur athletic union at that time, and that was the only way that you could be involved with track and field. When you look back in that opportunity that he fought for, I mean, that wasn't normal. What do you no. think it was about him that he, he wanted to fight to give you those opportunities? I, you know, I don't know. He was English teacher and boys basketball coach. And so I, I really don't know what, I, I mean, he just saw some talent in some of us. And uh, yeah, I give him the credit for, you know, we, we drove to Kalispell, Montana for meets. We went to Kansas City. Uh, of course, all the way to L.A. and uh, found a way to get get me involved in national competition. And so that was the only way. I graduated from high school in 1963. And by 1965, I was on the United States national team. I got sixth in the javelin, third in the shot, won the discus, and was walking Red Square and throwing the discus in Kiev. Wow. Yeah. What did you like about the discus when you started, or did uh, you like it at first? Yeah, I like the discus better than the shot. Um, I was just better. I was just better at it. And uh, I enjoyed the technique of it more so than the shot. But I continued to throw the shot and the discus. I threw the javelin at nationals. Uh, never, never placed higher than sixth in that, but was able to win the national championship in the discus. So that's a quick time to go from just starting the sport to making the national team. How, what went into that? How did you get so good so it, fast? You know, it was, uh, there was a, a field right behind the school at, uh, in, in Cedar Rapids. And I remember that the, uh, the trash can from the circle was 150 feet. And that was my goal, to be able to throw past that. Huh. And, you know, to, to place in the nationals, you had to throw between probably 155 and 65. And, you know, now it, the, the gals that are throwing are throwing over 200 feet, but uh, with a lot more training. Right, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what a weight was when I was throwing. My weights were milking the cows, carrying milk up and down, you know, from the barn to the house, and that was, that was my strength training. So being that, you know, it was your junior year of high school, how did that, did you immediately think, have that dream, oh, I could go to the Olympics, or how did that come about? No, no, that was, that was not even, you know, my folks, my mom and dad were sharecroppers. Uh, they loved to come to the softball games at Cedar Rapids, but track was really foreign to them. They had no idea, I'd probably never even seen a track meet. And so for him to take us girls and develop us enough to qualify even for uh, national competition was it was quite a feat so when did you think oh wow i could maybe be an olympian uh probably 1965 you know when i made when i made my first national team and then two years later in 1967 i won the pan-american gold in uh, winnipeg canada and was the best thrower in the United States. And so when you're number one in the country, you've got a chance. You still had to meet back, probably even now, you have to meet a standard. And the standard was like 170 feet. And uh, 
the year that I went to the Olympics, I threw 172. So I met the qualifying standard. And uh, that year, though, I was only second. I didn't win the nationals in 1968. Uh, a gal by the name of Olga Connolly won it. Wow. And so, yeah. She was a... Uh, she was a... Uh, she defected from Czechoslovakia because her husband was Hal Connolly, who was one of our hammer throwers. They met in an international meet. And, of course, Czechoslovakia is behind the Iron Curtain. And she, Hal Connolly, somehow smuggled her out of Czechoslovakia. She became the American citizen. And she beat me, but I still got second. So were you aware at the time that no Nebraska woman had ever made the Olympics? No. You know, that, I, that still surprises me when I hear people say that. Uh, I, I guess I don't know if, if, uh, if because it was track at that time and you could because you weren't going to make the Olympics on any volleyball team. You mm -hmm. weren't going to make the Olympics on a softball team. I think track was about your only option to be able to do that back, you know, this was 1968. It was well before Title IX. And uh, high school sports, college sports for girls was non-existent. So I, some people might have heard you say this, but I thought this was fascinating. You spent all that time, became an Olympian, and really didn't have the facilities or the resources to even get there. Can you take us through that? No, no. I, I, you know, in high school, uh, Cedar Rapids, Nebraska had no weight room. Like I said, my, my, my weight room was working on the farm, you know. Cutting, cutting cockleburs and walking the corn and lifting irrigation pipe and carrying milk cans and uh, milking cows by hand in the morning, at morning and night. And so that was my weight training. Even when I came to the university, there was no, well, my husband played for Tom Osborne and Bob Devaney. He graduated in 1969. And back then, even the, even the men's football team was not fully invested in weight training at all. They did a lot of uh, uh, different kinds of training, but a full weight program, Tom Osborne didn't implement that until, what, 1970, somewhere in there? So weight training was not existent, not just for women, but certainly not, you know, even for men. So I uh, came down to the university. I lived in Pound Hall. I, uh, part of my workout, Pound Hall has 13 floors. It used to before they destroyed it. Paul, uh, Pound Hall had 13 floors. I'd run those 13 floors, uh, ran up to the fairgrounds and uh, through at the fairgrounds because the University of Nebraska did not sponsor any women's athletics at that time at all. And I was a physical education and math double major. And the, uh, the head of the physical education department was a gal by the name of Dudley Ashton. I'll never forget her. Gray hair and a big bun. And uh, she hated, she really didn't want me to throw at all. And I know it broke her heart when the rest of the physical education majors elected me president my senior year. And so uh, I, had, I had to work through a lot of things. I, my, uh, I worked my first two years didn't have any kind of scholarship of course my folks couldn't pay couldn't pay for it so my junior and senior year I became a student assistant and my junior year I was a student assistant at Pound Hall and I would leave Pound Hall and run straight up 
what is it, 16th, 17th Street, straight up to the fairgrounds, do my throwing and my running. And when I came back, a lot of times, you know, I was sweaty. You could tell I'd been working out. And the gal that was the gal, the lady, and I can't tell your name, the lady that was the head honcho over the grad assistants uh, did not like that I was coming back sweaty. She thought that was inappropriate. And the next year I was transferred to Abel Hall. Wow. So, I mean, during that time, again, it was no Title IX, and you were, it was not necessarily anything was handed to you. You had to work through a lot of stuff and um, not necessarily easy, easily to train, all of that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. why did you, why were you motivated even then through all of those things? You know, it, I just, I started loving athletics, like I said, when my bro- I went to watch my brother play basketball, he, he had a scholarship to Norfolk Junior College in basketball. So I saw a lot of basketball. I always wanted to play. My, my best memories on the farm are throwing this. I had a weighted rubber softball that I would throw off of the, the, the house and field ground balls and f- just play by myself, throw. You know, <laughs> I, I said to my grandkids once, I said, I used to shoot shoot uh, baskets in the corn crib and they go what's a corn crib (laughs) you know and you're wiping the mud off the ball no cement no anything and winter summer I just loved sports and so when I had the opportunity to go beyond high school and do something uh, that was what a lot of people never didn't have a chance to do in my day and age so um, when you make the Olympic team how special was that yeah, that that really was, you know, um, the opening ceremonies, the uh, the only thing that I wished hadn't happened was the first flight got to throw on a dry circle and the second flight it rained and uh, the circle was wet. They didn't do a very good job of clean. I didn't have my best throw. I wanted to throw my personal best at the Olympics and I didn't. But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I, when I was at the uh, World Championships in uh, France, in Lyon, France, I was throwing the discus. <laughs> and there was this gal that was from East Germany. And she said, I said, yeah, I, I was in the 68 Olympics. And this gal from East Germany says, Germany now, but she threw for East Germany, and she said, but I didn't throw very well. The circle was wet. And I said, you were in the second flight. And she and I were throwing against each other in Lyon, France, as 70-year-olds. And, it, yeah, it was, it was, uh, that was, that was kind of a neat memory, too. Wow. But I didn't throw my best. That, that was the one disappointment that I had. Other than that, the Olympic experience was, was awesome. So when you get back and you kind of start transitioning, when did you know that you wanted to be a coach? Did you always know that you wanted to be a coach? Uh, yeah, because even before the Olympics, I, um, that's how old I am. I, was, I opened Lincoln East High School. I don't know, not myself, but I graduated from the university in 67, and that fall I taught math and PE at Lincoln East. I, I coached a, uh, about three or four girls in track and took them to a couple meets. And so, yeah, I just, I knew that I, I knew that I wanted to, to be a coach. So I, I was talking to you the other day and you're telling me a little bit about when you took the job here and you began coaching here. I mean, 
Can you tell me about that? And you had what, one, two scholarships? Yeah. And what that was like at that right. time. You know, uh, that was in 1976. My husband, Larry, took the head football job at Lincoln High. And at the same time, I took the head, I was head cross country, indoor, outdoor, had one assistant and earned $2,000. Wow. That was my, that was my first salary at the university. Uh, they didn't have scholarship money. I had like two $200 scholarships that I could give out. And our, uh, our very first, very first year was at the Bob. So I opened Lincoln East High School, also Bob Devaney, because that was the, the, the year that Bob Devaney opened. And so I was, I didn't have to coach in Mushroom Gardens, which is just under the, the stadium over here. And, uh, but I had one assistant, Linda Zeck, my husband, after he got done coaching at Lincoln High um, in the spring, he would come down and help. So I had basically myself and one and a half other assistants. And, uh, but we ended up uh, winning the what was then the Big Eight, we ended up winning the Big Eight indoor, Big Eight outdoor, and uh, got second in the nationals. Wow! So yeah, we went from we went from hardly even having a track team to winning the Big Big Eight championship. Was and it then Perry, Gary Pepin took over for me, and wow, what wow. a career! What a career for yeah. sure. Just mm -hmm. retired. Yeah. Uh, was it hard to get girls to want to compete at that time? You know, it was. Uh, that was 1976. In 1972, Nebraska held their first state track meet. And so track, I, I don't know when volleyball and basketball started, but I think it was about that same time. And track uh, was non-existent at the university until I believe about 1974. But there was a guy by the name, oh, I can't say his first name now, Foster, Coach Foster at uh, UNK was a great track coach. And anybody who was any good went to run for Charlie Foster at UNK. And so I had a hard time recruiting against him because he had a program already established. But in, uh, in 1976, I was, I was able to recruit Nancy Kendig, Cindy Tatum, Sandra Obermeyer, the three of the very best athletes in the state and convince them to come to the university. And from then on, we became the powerhouse. And uh, wow. it kind of awesome. grew, grew from there. So how did you get into football coaching then? What was that transition, transition <laughs> like for you? <laughs> well, I coached at the university from 76 to 80. My husband coached at Lincoln High from 76 to 80. And you know, by this time now, I'm having to spend a lot of time away from home. There's a lot of recruiting time. It's really starting to be more of a big time operation. My, uh, my, my son, Steve, was in second grade. Scott was just going into kindergarten. And between Larry and I spending as much time with sports, we weren't able to spend as much time as we wanted to with them. And so he took a coaching job at O'Neill, Nebraska, which is probably C2 now, probably was C2 then. And uh, he came from Lincoln High and he had a whole staff of like five coaches. And he goes to, goes to O'Neill and it's him and one other guy. And he, Larry really liked to throw the ball, grew up, you know, played under Tom Osborne. 
and wanted to implement a lot, implement a lot of the throwing stuff that, that Osborne had. And so uh, Dennis Gall was his line coach, and Larry couldn't coach quarterbacks, uh, running backs, and receivers. And uh, I had been throwing to him while he was playing at the university. I'd been throwing the football to him for a couple years. And so I pretty much knew his stuff. And so he said, uh, I, I started coaching his receivers, and uh, that was in 1980-81. And so for like 20, 25 years, I was, uh, I was boys football You said coach. you were throwing, uh, were you, you, did you have a cannon of an arm? Figure yeah. You could, you could throw yeah. it pretty good, yeah. pretty yeah. good right? Yeah, I, th I can throw 40. <laughs> I could. Awesome. I could throw 40 yards. I couldn't throw 50. But, yeah, that was one thing that, uh, you know, everybody wondered, what do, what do the boys think? What do they think mm -hmm. about you? And, and uh, but they, uh, you know, at, at first, every school we ever went to, they'd throw the ball back to me like I was going to break, you know, and I'd throw the ball at them. And, uh, yeah, they, uh, they quickly learned that I could, I could throw the ball and I could, I could throw all the, the outs and the corners and, the, you know, every, the horns and everything that we ran. So, wow, yeah. That, that's awesome. How did you yeah. go about, I mean, again, because you talk about coaches evolve and, and knowing what to teach the boys as the game evolves and, and just staying on oh, top of that the was, wide receivers. That was, totally, that was totally my husband. <laughs> I mean, he was the whole game planner. He handed me the practice set, schedule and said, do this. And, um, but he called the game, you know. I was just, uh, he always just said that I was a good coach because I was a good technician. Well, mm -hmm. that comes from being a throwing coach. You know, I, I could teach footwork. I could teach how to catch the ball. But as far as the strategy goes, he was the, he was the one that did all of that. So how did you, did you go, uh, tackle the technique part of it and, and teaching those, the yeah, wide receivers well, he, that? He, you know, it was basically the same thing. He taught me what Osborne taught him, and I taught that to the, to the kids. So I coached wide receivers and uh, defensive ends. We ran a five-man front and, you know, a nose, two tackles, and two defensive ends. And so on defense, I, I coached defensive ends, and on offense, I coached receivers. Wow, that is so cool. You know, you, you talk about being a boys coach during that time, and mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, you. I know you had said that your husband was supportive of it and, and you know, allowed for you to have that opportunity, but it wasn't normal then. So no. did you, I mean, did you realize it wasn't normal no. then? Or? Well, yeah, it was. But, you know, after you've been to the Olympics and coached at the university, coaching at the high school level wasn't that big a deal and Larry was really supportive and uh, for the most part the coaches that I that we coached against were supportive I only had a couple couple incidents where I knew that uh, they didn't appreciate a woman being out there actually the the people that didn't appreciate me coaching boys football were probably the the Southern Bell women in Texas because mm -hmm. I coached football in Texas which you know, 15,000 seat stadium and oh, yeah. that whole thing in Texas. And some of the, some of the ladies weren't really appreciative of me coaching, but that didn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. So when you go to practice now, do you, do you, are you drawn toward the wide receivers and watching oh, yeah. them? Yeah. Oh, I always watch the offense, you know, I'll watch the defense, but wherever the one and two offense is, that's generally where I am. <laughs> so what, even now to this day, I mean, you, you love sports, you grew up around it. What, how much do you love, I guess, because you're always at practice and I know you, you enjoy being out there. How much do you just love being oh, out there? I just, I, I, you know, I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, I grew up just loving 
sports and and technique and teaching technique and uh, well, I went to bed last night and watched the Cubs win and then went to bed watching the Padres get beat. You know, I just, <laughs> my, the reason I watched the Padres is because my older son and his, my grandson came from San Diego to Texas and they're still big Padre fans. And so I have to watch the Cubs and the Padres. Uh, I, can watch, I can watch anything. I'll watch the entire Masters and, uh, and never, leave the, never leave the couch. I just I just like watching sports. It's awesome. Yeah. So you know, celebrating fifty years of Title Nine, and you were in sports before even Title Nine was passed. But you think about the fifty years and how far it's come, and even from when you were competing to now, the opportunities. How do you reflect mm-hmm. upon that and the growth of women's sports? Oh gosh, you know, as I look back, uh, I, I I just so wish that I would have had the opportunities that girls have now. You know, had had sports been what they are in 2000, even in, you know, 1990, compared to what they were when I graduated in 1965. I, I, my first love was basketball. I, I, would have, I would have loved to have a scholarship to the University of Nebraska in basketball. If I didn't have it in basketball, it would have been softball. Because I, you know, I played softball on the uh, state championship team. And so those were my first two loves, but there was no opportunity. So I ended up going to the Olympics in track and field because the opportunity was there. You know, and a lot of people consider you, you know, again, a pioneer and, and you helped pave the way and did things when they weren't supposed to be done and all mm-hmm. of that. What does that mean to you that so many women look up to you and see you as a role model and are so appreciative of the things that you did before it was even possible? You know, I, uh, I like that you say that. I don't think of myself like that. You know, I just... I just wanted to play softball. I wanted to play basketball. It was just something that, uh, and then my husband was a sports nut too, and I raised two sports nuts for sons. And so it's just been, it's just been part of my life. I don't care whether people look up to me or not. That's just, that's just what I do. It's I awesome. always tell people I throw things. <laughs> <laughs> throw things. Um, and then you still compete now, right? Uh, I have been. Yes, I have and been. O- I, own all kinds of records. Well, uh, I, I have the, the American record I have in both the shot and the discus. Um, I held the world record in the javelin for about, oh gosh, nine months. And then somebody broke it. But uh, yeah, I competed in the world championships. I was going to go, in, when I turned 75, uh, they were supposed to be in Toronto, but that was the COVID year. And you weren't gonna bring a whole bunch of old people together at a track meet during COVID. And so that was canceled. And uh, this year it was uh, in Finland, but it kind of backs up to Ireland. And so I didn't go there. So maybe next year I'll compete again at, in the Worlds. That's awesome. All right, last thing I got for you, just give us, put your coaching hat on, I guess, and give us your coaching speech. If someone was listening in and maybe thinking about getting involved at an older age or maybe wanting to overcome, you think about the things you did as a young woman, just overcoming or getting involved in sports, what, what, what would be your message if they were listening? Oh, you know, uh, listen to your parents, listen to your coaches, but having coached as many years as I can or as I have there's only one way that you can succeed and that is if you yourself 
have the self-discipline to go out on the, the driveway and shoot baskets or swing the golf club or whatever because it has to come from inside. Doesn't matter what your coach says, doesn't matter what your parents say, it has to be you that wants it. And if you want it, there's nothing that can stop you in this day and age. Love it. Thank you so much. Uh, fascinating conversation. And yeah. man, you've done so much and so neat to hear about. So thank you for chatting with us. Yes. Yeah.